What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. David? Yes? I know that you'll find this hard to believe, but we have a new Elon Musk controversy. Oh, we do? We do. Let me quote from the New York Times here. More major advertisers have paused their spending on X, the social media service formerly known as Twitter, as the backlash continued over Elon Musk's endorsement of an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on X. So the surface level issue here is an escalation of the idea that Elon Musk didn't just bring the bad actors back to Twitter. He is one of them. Yeah. The secondary issue, which I continue to be fascinated by, is what should journalists like us do at this point? What is the move if we are Twitter users, we've built up this following, we are using this platform to push out articles, push out this podcast, which I'm going to do here in a few hours. What's our move? In terms of using Twitter or reporting on the story? Well, I think we know how to report on the story. So I guess I'm more interested in the just leave, the go to threads, disappear into the ether. What's the move? Uh, start investigating those things, I think, obviously. Um, uh, it's, you know, the, uh, Musk's behavior uh, in general, but, you know, specifically over the past couple of weeks, has been pretty abhorrent. Um, seems to be spending a whole lot of time now uh, waving his arms around about a, 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 a filing a lawsuit against Media Matters for reporting on this whole story. But, you know, in the in, in, in the zoomed out sort of sense, I mean, I, I think that we as people and specifically as journalists, you know, use platforms, uh, conduct our lives, use businesses in very generally uh, that are owned by terrible people uh, on a pretty regular basis. And Twitter has a pretty specific function, despite what it feels like um, Musk's numerous attempts at disabling uh, some of the core functionality of, of the platform. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we have to see how it shakes out, but uh, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit of a nihilist when it comes to just like the the politics, no matter how despicable of of, you know, evil owners. I, I think, you know, we've learned how to navigate around those for the most part. I think it's almost more troubling just that the functionality has been almost crippled by the racist hordes and and whatnot that Musk has has, has brought in and his specific just absolutely ridiculous ideology. I saw a journalist the other day saying, well, I have accumulated enough followers on threads. So now I am leaving Twitter, which seemed like kind of a weird place to draw the line. Mm -hmm. I am popular elsewhere. Yeah. So now I feel comfortable, but I believe that a lot of journalists have made calculations like that during the entire Musk ownership, probably before that. Sure. 
I mean, I think that's. I, th I think there would be there would have been a much bigger migration had there been uh, a, a, any other option that seemed like it could functionally take the place. And I so I think that's the sort of whether or not we say it out loud, that is everybody's calculus to some extent. Um, it's that and you know just general gravity that are keeping people on Twitter. I think by and large. Um, but yeah, it is. It is. It, you know. It, it, it's an interesting decision to make. Coming up on today's holiday edition of the Press Box, David, we're going to get deep, deep, deep into this Carissa Thompson sideline reporter story that captivated the platform we just spoke about last week. We have some weekend audio involving both professional wrestling and Chargers coach Brandon Staley. Combination that has always belonged together in my mind. All that and much more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. media consumers, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, and producer Eduardo Ocampo, who is sitting in for Erica. Where are you, David, this uh, festive time of year? I'm in Princeton, New Jersey, as You're always. You're still back home. Yeah. I'm sitting here in my childhood bedroom in Fort Worth. Oh my gosh, your childhood bedroom looks so different. Well, the is autographed pictures aren't on the wall anymore yeah. from the celebrities <laughs> no. I was mailing Wrestling posters to. at a minimum. No, there's, just, there's a, a tasteful painting. Over the bed, every, everything's, I don't know. I just see, a, I just see a, 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 a tastefully decorated room with white walls and, you know, a wrought iron bed frame. And I think, I just assume you're in a, you're in a formal guest room somewhere, although that might be where you are. Mom did a little redecorating. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I never imagined when I was 17, 18 years old that I'd be looking into a magic Zoom device at my friend David Shoemaker about to do a segment about Carissa Thompson. No. But here we are, David, because I know you saw this story. Oh, yeah. Carissa Thompson of both Fox and Amazon goes on the Pardon My Take podcast. And this was a very quick exchange at the beginning of a 40-minute long interview that got everybody onto one side or another, mostly one side. Here is Carissa Thompson on Pardon My Take. And I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. Um, I would make up the report sometimes because A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late. And I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up because mm -hmm. first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to kill stop uh, hurting ourselves. We needed to be better on third down. We yep. need to stop turning the ball Pressure over. The quarterback. We need, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and do a better job of getting off the field. Like they're not going to correct me on that. Right. So I'm like, it's fine. I'll it, just make up the report. So I listened to the whole interview, which a lot of people out there were encouraging people to do. And I will say this: right before this clip, which made its way around the world, she was talking about her friend Aaron Andrews, and she said. I'm always amazed at how much Aaron Andrews studies for an entire week to then go on television and talk for 15 or 30 seconds. She's a great sideline reporter. She works so hard at this. I wasn't good at this job. And then she segued into that example. So if we want to bend over backwards to have the most generous reading of what she just said, there's the context. I wasn't good at this, but there are other people, including my friend, who are very good at this job. And they're good at it because they work really hard at it. That said, what she described there, dude, is the most normal, 
cut and dried penny ante first day of J school case of fabulism I've heard. You get somebody who's young, who has a job, they can't deliver what they're supposed to deliver, whether it's their fault or not. And so they cut corners. That's what that is. And I want to get into the whole idea of sideline reporting and the bigger issues that are swirling around this. That that's what she's saying she did. Sure. I mean, you know, we can, we can talk about it in a hundred ways, but that's what it is. And that, you know, again, if we went through the, the stacks of the Columbia journalism review and looked for every journalistic controversy like this, we would find those particulars more or less word for word. And we would also find that last part, whereas I did it and I didn't think anybody would catch me. Sure. I did it in such a way that nobody would come back and be, hey, you didn't, you said I'm benching Patrick Mahomes at halftime. No, no, I did it in the way that I would say the most bland thing possible so that nobody would even notice. <laughs> and I would have done my job. Am I wrong there anywhere? No, I mean, no, not at all. She released a statement that basically said she didn't say what she said, but I guess... Um, I want to get to that in a minute, but let's go with what she actually said. The only part that I will draw... That, I mean, if you really want to give it a generous reading, you could... I could see a world in which she didn't mean made up in the most literal sense, right? That she sort of, you know, puzzled together some sideline reports based on other existing information as opposed to just Ryan Curtis told me that he, you know, likes vanilla ice cream. Shocking, I know. Um, but, yeah, no. I mean, when you when you listen to it, it's just really hard to, to hear anything. But someone just saying, uh, I created things out of more or less whole cloth and attributed them to people who did not say them. Yeah. And these are very, very small things in the grand scheme of things. That little 10 or 15 second hit right after the kickoff of the second half. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, come on. People like us make fun about the existence of sideline reporters all the time. Not the existence, but sometimes the questions that are asked. Yeah. Let's get to the existence in just one second. But I just think there is something important within the media world we live in, even sports television, which is a different animal than print journalism. Mm-hmm of not skimping on the small stuff. Sure. If we had an employee at the ringer and they said, okay, my job is aggregation for the next couple months. Like I'm kind of putting together some stuff and aggregating. It wouldn't be like, okay, you can make that up as long as you don't make up a big essay that you write later. Yeah. Like, no, no, you actually have to do that well. Yes. And put all your effort into something that might seem thankless and a very, very small part of the cosmos. And then in a place where nobody would notice if you were cutting a corner. And that's the gateway to do the bigger thing. Well, and, yeah. And to earn uh, trust to do the bigger thing. Absolutely true. I mean, the nobody would notice thing is, I think, what's what's interesting to me. Because it's not just that nobody would notice based on the sort of sideline reports we normally get. Uh, the questions that were asked. But also the answers that are given. Right? I mean, it's the reason why one could make these things up is because 99% of the answers that you get are just so rote, you know, so trite, so, you know, cut and paste um, that, yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's not a lot of, 
no one's shocked when you don't when when you when your report is the most bland thing possible. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it is a very interesting genre. Um, but you're right. But it has to be defended. I mean, you, someone you can't you can't fake it. You just can't fake it, or you're not doing that job. If you and I were coordinating producers of the entire world, I would hope that one of the first things we would say is. Hey, if a coach comes out of the locker room at halftime and gives you some bullshit about we need to play better defense, we need to stop the run, I want you to feel empowered to get on television and just completely ignore that and just tell me something interesting about the game. Mm -hmm. Something interesting you saw with your eyes on the sidelines, something that has nothing to do with the coach, a bigger point about the coach maybe that you learned that doesn't just rely on the boring quotes because that's all he was willing to give you. Yeah. It's you. But that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> that's no, not no, 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 no. I mean, you could take it a step further. We, I mean, the places like Amazon who were building sports, you know, sports broadcasts uh, and, and trying to, as we've discussed many times, make their shows feel like the thing you're used to watching. Like, would it, it wouldn't make a ton of difference if you got a veteran sideline reporter who went out at the moments we're used to seeing sideline reporters to comment on the weather. Right. Just to just to try out there in that in at the exact moment, the exact voice to say, like, second half is going to be really interesting because uh, a lot of the fans in Section A have gone to the bathroom, you know, like whatever. Like it, it would it would the it wouldn't change your viewing experience that much. But if you're going to actually report on something, you have to do the job. Heard a lot of people say, and I think even people asked me this in in uh, text messages over last week, they said. Why would you go on a podcast and admit something like this? This is a good don't go on podcasts argument. Or don't go on, don't go, especially don't go on like free flowing comedy podcasts. Dude, uh, and we know, we know it's just like the old, and again, I don't want to insult anybody here by proxy, but it's kind of like the old Howard Stern thing mm -hmm. where you get famous people in broadcasting that go on, pardon my take, and they want to be quote unquote edgy mm -hmm. and just a little bit dangerous and they want to please the hosts. And show that, you know, they are not what whatever the conception of a boring square sports television personality that most of the public has. That's and that feels exactly what's happening here, like yeah, what's happening totally. here. But to the question of why would she admit it? I just thought, why would she do it? <laughs> why, why would you do it in the first place? Yeah, I, I mean, just know. that I that that just, you know, and if the end again, if the info is so obvious there just feels like to me that we don't even need to wave that magic wand that most trucks would be like, just give us something else, you know, do the creative thing where Mike McCarthy talked to us all week about how yeah. important it was to stop the run. We saw that the Cowboys struggle with that in the first half. They're going to need better performances out of Neville Gallimore. Just go for it. Yeah. Again, you and I watching at home would not probably be on first glance able to detect that they didn't talk to the coach. Mm -hmm. We just think, oh, good point. Or yes, yeah. that is that is the Cowboys' focus in the second half. I thought the TikTok of this whole thing was interesting. This was a big story online on Thursday. And not just among media podcasters like you and me, but among other network sideline reporters mm -hmm. who got on Twitter slash X and made their feelings known about this. Yeah. Dude. I cannot tell you network broadcasting, the people that do pre games and games 
So I'm not talking about like Skip Bayless and Stephen. I'm talking about network sportscasters that mm-hmm. call games. These are not people who publicly criticize each other ever. It's a little bit like the Supreme Court. They'll do it in private. Yeah. But they will not go out and criticize a fellow me- a fellow member of that group. Yep. Ever. So to see Tracy Wolfson and Lisa Salters and Catherine Tappan and Laura Oakman and on and on get on Twitter to be like, this is not cool. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, and I saw some people characterizing it as a pylon or anything. I just want, I just want to reiterate, this is the most unlikely pylon you've ever seen. Yeah. People like us being outraged. Of course. People like Tracy Wolfson getting on Twitter to comment on that. How many times mm-hmm. has Tracy Wolfson done that in her entire career? I know. And I think that's the other thing that's that hit home about it was it was about the job more broadly. Yep. It hit a lot of people as being about sideline reporting, not about something that Carissa Thompson did. But here is a job done by women in many cases who deal with all kinds of bullshit from Twitter, from their own bosses, from people in the profession. And you're saying, oh, I did it. I made up some coach updates. And man, that just felt like it was, that is the way that comment was absolutely perceived by people up and down the industry. Yeah, I mean, you can understand why people are so motivated uh, to defend it. Um, it's just a really, I mean, I think it comes to, I, 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 I land exactly where you were before. I can't believe that anyone would say this out loud, but I even more so can't believe that anyone would do it, right? I mean, it just seems, I, I guess there's a world in which you feel pressure to have that interview, but like, don't the people that you're answering to, aren't they aware that you didn't get time with the coach? I mean, when you say, when you didn't get time with the coach, like it, yes. like, I think you could, I think you could talk to the truck. Imagine the amount of work it would take to, to, to fabulize in such a way, you know, because it does happen so quickly. It's like, you have to come in. It's like, you have to be prepared to lie. You know, you have to be prepared to not do your job talking about all the preparation it takes. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a lot of work to, to fake that. Um, so yeah, just inc- really, really bizarre. I think I told you before that in the couple of times I've been in TV trucks during football games, the sideline reporter is often the person that I pay attention to the most because it turns out you can see about 10% of their job and Mm -hmm. 10% of their output during the game on TV. Yeah. I've been in a truck when Aaron Andrews is doing a game and the entire game, the entire game, she is on a mic, which the whole truck can hear going guys on the sideline right now. These two players are having a very, very tense exchange. They are right in each other's face Mm -hmm. or that coach is looking at the defensive coordinator in such a way that we need to get a camera on him. Or so-and-so is badly limping, just came off the field, and the announcers had not noticed it. Right. And then so we get that great camera shot that becomes a meme Yeah. of a coach looking a certain way or a player looking a certain way on the bench. And that's the sideline reporters. I mean, there were, so the, the sideline they reporters... They don't get credit for it. No, they're reporting to the... They're reporting for the, for the booth. They're reporting for the, yes. for the network, not just... The what we perceive to be per, per reporting for the for the viewer at home. Absolutely, they're the eyes and ears on the sidelines. You know, we saw it, we saw it really dramatically with Kaylee Hartung in that Thursday night game when Joe Burrow got hurt. Mm-hmm. And you just like you need somebody down there to be like, 
here is what is happening right now. This is a huge story in the NFL, but there's all this hidden stuff where you're like, I never would have known that they were the person that found that, Mm -hmm. but they are. And again, they're radioing in for the entire game. Maybe they appear on television. What do you think? Four times, five, six times. If if there's yeah, and there's stuff that they that do in. want. I mean, that you're right. I mean, and the, like I said, you know, the the answers that they so often get from the coaches are so blah. The questions are so sort of wrote. I mean, you'd be forgiven for watching from home and say, why can't you replace that person with the Zoom interview or something? You know, I mean, like it doesn't have to be done in this way in this age. But what you're describing is a totally different job description. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you need, again, you just, there's no way to do it that I know of without having somebody down there. And not to mention it enhances the broadcast so greatly Mm -hmm. to have them down there and pointing out all these things that again, other people aren't seeing because their eyes are focused everywhere or the announcers aren't paying attention. So they didn't see it. It makes the broadcast better. I was also struck after we had this whole thing on Twitter slash X on Thursday that Carissa Thompson just went on Amazon Thursday night mm-hmm. and Amazon did not think it was necessary to have a statement or to have her apology somewhere on social media. Yeah. That was just fine. That was one of those moments where I'm like, who is, who's, who's running this sports division again? Yeah. Again, I know it's television. I know it's different than print journalism, but we're not just not going to say anything. Yeah. It's not going to be addressed on the broadcast. It's not going to be, and again, her apology, and we can get to that now, or her explanation, was that she chose her words poorly. She said, I have never lied about anything or been unethical during my time as a sports broadcaster. Before that, she said, working in media, I understand how important words are, and I chose the wrong words to describe the situation. Well, if that's the case, why wouldn't you just said that on the air or on social media that day? It's just that it's very, to me, it's very surprising. Again, I understand this didn't happen on Amazon, but if you're Amazon sports and you care about the credibility of your division, Mm -hmm. truly you want that to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. One would think. One would think. One would think. I also wanted to read a tweet here from our colleague, Lindsay Jones. I thought it was a near universal experience for women in sports media. The feeling of needing to work twice as hard to be taken seriously, that you can't bear to make a mistake. So the cavalier way Carissa Thompson cavalierly admitted to making up quotes is unforgivable. That was what she tweeted. And then Friday, as I mentioned, Thompson puts that post on Instagram. Yeah. Unforgivable, I think, is is the word. I mean, I it's I'm loath to ever call for anybody's job. I always think it's a kind of inane thing to do almost always but um and especially me calling for that job i think would be sort of ridiculous however i don't know how you can continue i don't know how you can continue to employ or at least put the person on tv right i don't know how you can continue to keep them in their job um it just seems uh it just seems confounding well, and we got, and I guess through that uh, apology I just read on Instagram, we got back. No, no, I didn't make anything up. Right. What I said sounded like I was saying I made things up, but I didn't actually make things up. Yeah. So maybe she's going back to your generous reading, which I believe officially was the second generous reading of this podcast, mm-hmm. which is I didn't have much or even any words from the coach. So without putting words in their mouth, I just spun out a sideline report. Yeah. 
which by the way is a universal experience everywhere in journalism. Someone's <laughs> gonna have to go through all the sideline reports to see. I saw I saw people doing that, but how would you even know? You know Rod Marinelli's gonna be like, oh, I didn't talk to her that day. Well, I guess there'd be a dispositive where you could like if there were a number of sideline reports like like that were actually like the one that you made up, right? If there if if she had a number of sideline reports that were like Rod Marinelli told us this week that blah blah blah. Then you could she'd be like, "That's what that's what I was talking about. That's what I meant when I said made up." Then maybe, but I don't know. I don't know either. Last thing I want to cover here, and it goes back to the idea of as journalists, as media members, taking small things seriously. Uh-huh. Is I do think if you don't take that seriously, you wind up drifting into the Brian Williams zone. Yeah, where part of your output or part of the stuff you say and remember in Brian Williams case it was sometimes on like late night talk shows yeah becomes this amalgam of fact and fiction mm-hmm. and maybe you even forget what it is you're talking about yeah because you've let yourself drift free of facts mm-hmm. and beyond just storytelling you know oh I told a great story and it got embellished a little bit no 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 it, it starts to become that you don't quite understand where the line is mm-hmm. <laughs> between those things. And I think when you don't, when you don't see again, it's a sideline report. It's a status update from a coach. I understand all that, but I think there is a chance that that the moorings get cut and the blimp drifts away. And then you're in a world where it's not so clear, which is which coming up in 30 seconds, some weekend audio from the halls of Congress and the press room of the Los Angeles chargers but first let's do the overworked twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media twitter made it at exactly the same time senior nominees to at the press box pod where they are always always gratefully received our runners up uh, were any tweets from thursday night football with carissa thompson saying that joe burrow was going to be okay (laughs) we saw that thanks to stephen roderick tim and brett kornfeld but this week's winner comes from not pro football but the world of artificial intelligence Mm-hmm. You saw that OpenAI let its founder Sam Altman go. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Pretty wild that the first job OpenAI took was Sam Altman's. <laughs> Thanks to CKD and Don Steele and David Wexelbaum. If you are making jokes about a truly frightening phenomenon that could take all our jobs, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, in the notebook dump. Some quick weekend audio for you. Did you see The Rock taking pictures with Chuck Schumer? (laughs) Yes. In Congress. Not every day the Capitol Hill Press Corps or people that were glomming onto the Capitol Hill Press Corps get a chance to ask The Rock some questions during what I believe is called a photo spray. (laughs) But see if you can make out some questions that not only would... America's political junkies want to know the answer to, but that even you, David Shoemaker, might want to know the answer to. All right, so uh, rate, rate the importance of those questions for me in your no. life. Is The Rock what running was, for president? Will The Rock be at WrestleMania 40? And what was the, is The Rock cooking question? Yeah, do you, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? I think that was He's just... asking The Rock if he can smell what The Rock is cooking? <laughs> he did. 
Uh, I guess I would like to know the answer to that one just on a philosophical level. Did the rock ever smell what the rock was cooking or was, uh, yeah. Um, it might require too much introspection. No, will the rock be at WrestleMania 40, I think is the, is the most interesting one. We saw, you know, the rock as president is, is, uh, the, of no interest to me. You have investigated and written about the philosophical mysteries of pro wrestling better than anybody ever mm -hmm. but i await your piece does the rock know does the rock smell what the rock is cooking <laughs> truly a philosophical <laughs> inquiry oh it's the schrodinger's cat of pro wrestling i don't know if it will ever be answered but i'll look into it you know that uh, you and i maintain a prohibition on any how blank is like professional wrestling talk on this yes. podcast yeah but i learned I think this is from Bleacher Report, that the WWE and the Big 12 Conference are announcing a partnership for the 2023 Big 12 Championship game. The most outstanding player in that game gets a WWE Big 12 Championship belt. And a yeah. wrestler will be presenting the belt on the field. Is this the perfect capstone to a year in which college coaches were cutting promos? <laughs> I don't know. Do they? I mean, is this just a thing where WWE has figured out that the that the title belt is now valuable enough that they can charge money to give it out as awards, as opposed to just shipping it off for free uh, to get the logo out there? Yeah, it is the Big Twelve too. So, yeah, we're talking about the you know the stateliness of the occasion that it's not the SEC championship game. Sure, between George and Bama, which would be huge, or you know, it is the Big Twelve <laughs> championship game, but. I don't know. The Big, the Big 12 might be willing to uh, to go all in. No, but that's good. You see, WWE, should, I mean, should be, it's, it makes sense for them to be sponsoring the lesser conferences because that's where they recruit from, right? The, it's, the, it's the Division I athletes that don't make it to the pros. Those are, that's your future WrestleMania main eventer right there. <laughs> so, uh, so it's more like a talent, more like a talent hunt. Yeah. Oh, God, they're all over the place at these, at these, at these events now. Um, they had to get people at the Senior Bowl, just like looking at folks who, you know, whose names who you certainly don't know. It, it's, it's 40 it, time was a little slow, but, you know, if you're just <laughs> bouncing off the ropes. Exactly. That'll speed it up a few tenths of a second. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it is. It's a perfect capstone. I mean, and like you said, we don't do the like wrestling. The so-and-so is like wrestling probably in some sense because it's it's offensive to us because it's too broad right it'd be professional wrestling contains multitude so you got to explain why something's like trump is not like wrestling you know it's the one you kept hearing over and over again but there is a certain element to this coach to the to the the college coach uh and pro coach um you know heel interview shtick that's been going on all season long that it's it's sort of like I think it sort of crystallized in my head is this is like the Bobby Heenan year of, of, of football coaches, right? I mean, mm. this is the year that, that all the coaches realized, like all the great managers, there's no good baby face managers. There's, you know, occasional seconds, right? There's the, there's the, 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 the advisors and the valets or whatever, but the real managers are always heels. And that's because they realize that to protect their clients, to protect uh, their, their team, they got to just take all the heat, right? They got to, and, and also to recruit, to make money for themselves. They just have to be larger than life characters. And, uh, and, and I think that you see these coaches figuring that out, whether or not they're deliberately doing it. I think that they're, they've, they've certainly reached the same endpoint. It's really interesting, right? Because it's like, 
that same throwaway sideline interview we just talked about, if you Heenanize it, <laughs> all of a sudden you get a big pop out of it. Mm-hmm. You get that clip that travels social media and the message boards. Yeah. You get that us against the world thing, which every single college and every single athlete is trying to create at all times. Yep. I saw Micah Parsons had like two and a half sacks this weekend. Uh-huh. Being like, I heard what people were saying. It's like <laughs> they were saying you're the best defensive player in the NFL. Yeah. That's you heard that part. Speaking of coaches cutting promos, Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach, I think qualifies as extremely embattled. Oh, yeah. Lost yet another one-score game this weekend, and his press conference was fascinating because it started off with tough questions from the Chargers press corps. Did a fascinating job, a fabulous job, as far as I could hear their actual questions. They were very measured, but very, you know, we need some answers here. Mm-hmm. This this thing is broken. We we need you to talk to us. And it started out with Staley doing the we'll get it fixed and you know it's on me. Da, da, da. And then it got a bit testy. Here's a little bit of Brandon Staley at the podium. I have full confidence, like I t- I've told you, and like I've told you from the beginning, I have full confidence in our way of playing. Full confidence in myself as the play caller and the way that we teach and the way that we scheme. Full confidence in that. We got to bring this group together and do it consistently. Okay? And that's where it's at. So you can stop asking that question. Okay? I'm going to be calling the defenses. Okay? So we're clear. So you don't have to ask that again. If I was an embattled coach, would I want to be Keenanizing my post-game <laughs> press conference? Terrible. Or would I just want to lay as low as humanly possible and do, you know, we're getting better. I think we're getting close. Got to execute. What's the way to go there if you're Brandon Staley? Uh, I mean, he's been laying low most of the season. I don't know if he was just... <laughs> On the sidelines? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he was just kind of at his wit's end or if you know was, if that was a very specific exchange that got him going. I mean, everything you hear about the guy as a person is that he's not exactly a Bobby Heenan in real life, right? I mean, he's he's... No. Uh, that would offend. That would offend the memory of Bobby Heenan. <laughs> uh, but I mean, at the from what we were just talking about after, after this long season, I'm inclined to to view everything like that as deliberate. But it, I don't know. I mean, it, do you think it's a bad look? I well, I think he just. I mean, if you watch the press conference, he just mm-hmm. he just lost his cool. Yeah, because the rest of it wasn't like that, and then all of a sudden it got pretty rocky. Yeah. And he probably heard the same question twice in that press conference and for the 10th time that season and he was just done with it. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you're those reporters, that's the question Chargers fans, to the extent they do actually exist, want to know. Yeah. They they want some answers after you keep losing games like that. Yep. That's what you want from your embattled coach. Mm-hmm. But now embattled coach has a soundbite out there that says, I'll be doing this. There's no choice. Yeah. I will be calling the plays. Mm-hmm. I got this. Yeah. Which to me, if I'm in battle coach, I'm not sure that I want the owner hearing, no, 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 it's my way or the highway. It's like, ooh, highway sounds like a great option <laughs> for this franchise going forward. I've got a new headline complaint for you, David. Go ahead. Spent a, spent a lot of time uh, wondering about the three example headline. Oh, yeah. So-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, an oral history of the 
Los Angeles Chargers. Mm-hmm. Here is the new go-to headline that everybody's doing now. It is a statement of what the piece is followed by what is surely the most boring quote in the whole story. I'll give you an example. This is from the New York Times this last week. Jezebel, the oral history. Okay. Mm, Sounds good. Colon, quote, there was this riotous sense of fun, end quote. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. Pretty dull for Jezebel, don't you think? Yeah. If you notice this, especially do it with celebrity interviews, they'll put a quote in the headline. Yeah. And it's always like, it was a blast. To prove they got some quotes. To prove they got some quotes, I guess. But it's always, it's never, it's never a wonderful quote. It's never what would be the pull quote if we still had magazines and newsprint and papers. It's never, I just made up my sideline reports. Nothing to draw you. It is not that. (laughs) It is, there was this riotous sense of fun. Look for that. The boring quote headline. I love the boring quote headline. You heard it here first on the Press Box podcast. No other podcast is giving you this kind of information. We got an Only in Journalism nominee from Clifford Ball. This you hear a lot in political journalism. Coffers. Oh, yeah. Tim Scott, his coffers might have been drained right before he dropped out of the presidential race. Uh Uh-huh. There's been a whole lingering issue about how George Santos, so I guess is ending his run as the most written about and juiciest political story of all time, how money got into his coffers. Coffers. Very old-fashioned word. Love coffers. I keep all Never my money here. in coffers. <laughs> all right, it's time for David Schumacher guesses the strain pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about a bear who grabs some Mexican food off a person's porch was hostile talk over. Listener Chill Mickelson had a great alternative headline. Wait for it. Ursa oh. Diner. Oh, that's great. Mm. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap. Well done, Shell Mickelson. Today's nominee comes from literally everybody. I can't give credit. I think we got it for more than 30 times. Well, let me, let me check that. At least more than 10 times. I don't want to get over my skis here, David. Comes from the Atlantic. It's by a piece by our old friend Charlie Warzel, uh-huh. who went to Las Vegas to the Sphere. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about the Sphere. KOC's at the Sphere. That's the level of... Bold okay, face so name we're talking about. Sphere. Come on. He was made for the sphere. And he wrote a piece, the subhead of which is my night in front of the world's largest LED screen. I don't think you need much more than that. What was the Atlantic's strain pun headline? Is it sphere and loathing in Las Vegas? Someone's sphere and loathing in Las Happy Vegas? Thanksgiving, folks. All right. We're, we're all good. Can I tell a Halloween story since you didn't take very long to... Yeah, do it. That? All right. I know this has been... I'm pretty sure there's been a bit on Jimmy Kimmel, but there's, this really happened. My daughter, eight years old, right? Uh-huh. It's Halloween candy. Yeah. Exciting, right? Get a big old bag of candy. So happy. This sounds so generic, but when we got home, we were reminded that her class is taking donations, quote, for the troops. What? You give some of your candy to the troops. Again, this may have gotten garbled in some former fashion. I don't know. There was some candy that was supposed to be set aside for the troops. Okay, so let's look through the bags, my son and my daughter, and get the candy for the troops, which, let's be honest, nothing against the troops, but we were the Tootsie Rolls, they were going in that bag. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the banana, whatever it is, that's going in that bag. (laughs) Anyway, 
School next day, candy goes off the, to the troops, goes off to school, come back. Next night, my daughter says, where's my candy? Where's my no. candy? No, it's right over there. The pumpkin. Look at the pumpkin. Tootsie Rolls. It's the troops candy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Dude, I felt like the worst parent. Well, but think what you did for the troops. This is <laughs> this is the one the one good day of their in their candy delivery regiment. There's gonna get one jack-o'-lantern full of actually good candy. You mean we got the baby roos and the Kit Kats? That's this is terrible. incredible. I it's interesting. I don't know how, how your kids do I mean, I feel like Halloween is uh a much different event than it was when we were kids for our kids. I just how I so? Know. I feel like people must have had this really boring conversation a million times, but I don't know. I just trick or treating is not as a big deal, not as big of a deal. I mean, it's fun, but it's not as when we were kids. I feel like we just like left home and disappeared for like six hours while our parents handed out candy, and we just ran wild, you know. And this, and I feel like it's just a much more regimented thing now. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, my my kid, my 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 teenager. He goes and hangs out with friends and they go trick-or-treating for a while, but mostly they're just hanging out with each other. And then our, my four-year-old just, I mean, I don't have anybody in the middle, so maybe I'm just missing the 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 the, the real sweet spot. But um, but yeah, I mean, my four-year-old goes to like, you know, eight houses, and then that's enough candy that'll to until he forgets that Halloween exists for 11 more months, you know? I think like it'd be pretty, t- he would definitely cry if I gave away his candy. It would be very sad, but also I think one thing that we have that our the previous generations don't have didn't seem to have is the knowledge that we can buy candy, right? So that, <laughs> like, yes, you like especially the day after Halloween. No, like, there's no a- better can time. Amazon get here tonight with this. Yeah. I mean, like, do a you can go to the Walgreens off? or whatever and get like the leftover Halloween candy for twenty five cents. You know, just come home with buckets of it. So I mean, it's our yeah. parents. Our parents did did not seem to be privy. To the concept that you could go to a store and buy a Snickers bar, certainly not in bulk, right? Yes. We, well, at least your your mom and my mom did not. Yeah, might have been other other kids who had moms who were just wild and crazy bringing home. Sometimes you go to a friend's house and there'd be a full size candy bar somewhere, and you'd be yes. just blown away. He was like, "You did? You, you could just go to the movies or something?" Like, how'd when you we get were kids, this? yeah, <laughs> exactly. When we were kids, the smartest thing that like any of those brands ever did was when Twix started selling like little Debbie style cardboard boxes of individually wrapped Twix to sort of get them into the snack aisle as opposed to just the candy (laughs) section. Anyway, yeah, it turns out you can buy candy. So we did replace it with some some store-bought and also one of my wife or I might have been dispatched to the school to dig into the, with permission to dig into the troops fund just to recover (laughs) some of the. I couldn't find it, but I did find Again, some other ones that I brought I just, want to, I just want to say no disrespect to the troops. This is, this is a podcast that Ryan does not Curtis do that. trampling all over the flag <laughs> to find some David. candy. <laughs> he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Eduardo Ocampo. Thank you, Eduardo Shoemaker. And I return Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. Happy Thanksgiving, David. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Brian.